0: Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. I'm sure you gave it up for me because nobody told you to, right? Like, that was just. Uh, man, I'm excited to, to preach, I'm excited to bring the word. Um, it has been such an incredible season at our church. So many new people are finding, oh, I've just been talking to you, it's been the, the most life-giving thing is when I hear people say, man, I've been searching for a place to call home. I've been searching for a place where I could connect with community. I've been searching for a place where, where I could feel connected to people and to God. And that is just the most fulfilling thing, most encouraging thing I can, I can receive or I can hear about. Is that, is that, that's what God's, God's doing here. Um, it's also been such a fulfilling season, such an exciting season. Um, and seeing, here, here's the deal. When a leader leaves, it's like the true like test or takes a break. It's the true test of like how good an organization is. And I've just seen God do so many incredible things without our incredible leaders here in the past five weeks. If you're new and, and you like been coming here like about a month and you're like, Hey, I heard like the lead pastor's name were Caleb and Chrissy, but I hadn't seen the people. Where are they at? They've been on a five-week sabbatical, and uh, man, it's been incredible to see God move. And just like a lot of people step up, um, It's it's been an incredible season for, for me personally just to watch it all happen. And I'm excited today. So we did this crazy sermon title uh, series not picked by any of the people, but Caleb just said, All right, this is called The Best Sermon Ever, Uh, and that was the last five weeks, but we're not on that series anymore. Uh, I get to jump back into the book of Mark. We've been in the book of Mark for two and a half years. It's literally like 50 sermons in on, on just going verse by verse the book of Mark. And I love it so much because here, here's why I love it. I'll say, I say this often. It's because it's just called, it's called expository preaching and it's just exposing the word of God to you. Like here's my Bible. It's a digital Bible, but it's a Bible. <laughs> here's the word of God right here. My, my, this is my kid's iPad too. It just had like this Pokemon toothbrush app. Just a second. I had to like get it off of there, but the, beyond the Pokemon, it's the word of God. Is right there. It's still the same thing, I promise. Um, and I'm just letting you know the truth I'm getting. I'm not the source. Like, I'm just pointing you to the source today. And I wanted to encourage people today, like when we preach from, preach from the book of Mark, I don't have any access to any special access that you don't have access to. Like, and here's a mindset that some people have. is like, all right, let me wait till Sunday to see what God has to say. Stop. Like, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament thinking, where it's like, okay, there's one person who gets to go talk to God, and he only does it on a certain time. There's this weird ritual thing that you have to do, and then he could talk to God for a little bit, and then he comes out and tells us what God had to say. That was, the the curtain was torn, people, that you have access to God. Isn't that something to celebrate? Like, you get to talk to God. You don't have to wait till Sunday to see what God has to say. Monday morning, Tuesday mornings, every single hour, every minute, every second, you have access to the God of the universe. And guess what? He wants to talk to you. And so, and he's also provided, the biggest way he often talks to us is through the word of God. And we have access to that more than ever bef- before. We got an app. You should download the Uversion Bible app if you don't already or should get a Bible. We got free Bibles if you need them too. But, but that's my biggest emphasis is that when, when I preach, and obviously I'm having a lot of trouble here. Um, maybe I'll just bring a microphone just in case. I don't want this to be like a big distraction for everybody. Um, is that you would understand how to read the Bible on your own. Like, that's the biggest favor I could do for us. Like, as a church, the mission of the church is to equip the saints, according to Ephesians chapter 5. And so if, if there's a bunch of people that are dependent on a person to give them the word then that's not really growing. You should be teaching other people how to get to the same truth that you have. You should be diving in and finding truth on your own because there's something way more exciting than hearing a pastor say some stuff. It's when you find that same truth. When you're like, oh, this is what, I'm I'm reading my Bible on a Tuesday night and this is coming alive to me. I've been way more excited. I've been excited when a pastor tells some stuff and says like, this is what I found. But then when I'm like, this is what I'm seeing firsthand, that's what I wanna encourage you. And so let this be, an example of how I read my Bible. Like this is what as I preach and I'm just like, this is an example of what my Bible study looks like. This is an example of like what my Bible study was this last week in the Book of Mark. So we're jumping in. If you want to kind of turn there and get prepped, it's Mark chapter 12, and we're talking about the greatest commandment ever. Uh, thanks, I appreciate that. The greatest commandment ever. Um, And I'm going to start with, I'm going to say this statement, it's going to offend somebody, it's going to confuse somebody, but hey, Jesus offended a lot of people. So here's what I'm going to say, laws don't solve problems, they reveal problems. So I'm going to circle back to that, maybe just let that marinate a little bit. What does he mean by that? Laws don't solve problems, they reveal problems. As I was studying this, this is kind of what came up for me, and I'm going to explain it. But first of all, I want to know, where's my rule followers at? Like, just like, you know, there's a rule. I'm going to lo- follow that rule. I'm going to like, yeah, they, they said to do this. Some people are like, eh. all right, where are the people that walk into the exit door at Walmart? Just raise it up nice and proud. And you're walk walking like you're bad. It's like, yo, do something. Do something. I'm walking into the exit one. What you going to do? Like, that? that's me. Just to let you know. Like, what, are you, what are they going to do? <laughs> Not they didn't know tuna. But at Target, it's a little different, for some reason. So here, here's what I'm saying: like we make rules to solve problems. Like that's the heart behind it. We make laws, we make rules to solve problems. For example, like my kids would make a big old fat mess in the living room on the carpet, on, in the couch, like food mess. So new rule: let's solve this problem. Mom and dad have decided. Kids sit down, listen to the new edict has been declared. No food on the couch. No food allowed. You got it? And guess what? Get, did it solve the problem? No, it did not. They saw me eating on the couch. They're like, why does dad get to eat some food on the couch? And sometimes we'd be lax. Sometimes we'd be just too tired to enforce the law. Um, and so they would just do it anyway. And pretty soon it's just like, how many times do I got to tell you? And just like, the side, like hey, w- you think like with some kids, we got a new couch too. It's bigger. So they like to jump around. And m- my wife will tell you how many times a day she says, do not jump on the couch. And in my mind, I'm like, I can't, I can't blame them. Like if I was a kid, I mean, I'm an adult. I want to jump on the couch. That looks like fun. And so, uh, so they are an attempt to solve a problem. Now, sometimes you're like, but they, some, I know this law that was passed last year, that would like solve a lot of problems. Here's the deal. Laws don't solve the root problem. Laws can modify behavior, which means this. Do this, but don't do this. Like here's what you're supposed to do. And if you do it, this will be good. And here's what you don't do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. And, and if you do it, it's going to go bad for you. Like either the omission of this or like the doings. Omission or commission. Don't do it. Do this. Like, that's, that's what laws are, right? Can we agree on that? Like, those are what rules are. And we as humans just, like, have that instinct. Like, even in our staff, like, our, as our church, like, for a while, like, people were showing up late at staff meeting, but like, new rule. Every minute you're late, you have to do a burpee for it. Like, you remember, some people are laughing, and then it's been kind of loose on the person who created the rules, like, had to do a bunch of burpees, and so it's kind of been, like, more loose on the staff. But it was, like, maybe modified the behavior a little bit, but we'll tell you that it didn't, like, solve the problem. It revealed the problem. And here's the truth. When we look at Scripture, when we look at laws, like, there's a lot of laws in Scripture, and there's a lot of people that, that when you look at this, this nature seems or this, this tendency, we look at it and be like, oh, that's, that's like the people there. there was a lot of the laws were instituted by religious leaders, but that's not us. I just We're, we're going to look at like 613 laws in the Old Testament, and then there's this thing that, called the Mishnah, which people added to the laws. They were like, God like, laid out some laws, but he didn't give us enough, so a lot of religious leaders added some more laws. And it's easy to think that, like, oh, we're not like them. But I just wanted to let you know, I tried to figure out how many laws exist in, the wor- in, in America, in this country. And nobody knows. Like, do you know how many laws there are? Nobody knows. It, like, 20, year, 20, 30 years ago, people tried to figure out, like, there was a Congress, like, okay, let's figure out how many laws we can. Four years later, they still don't know how many laws. Like, we have a ridiculous amount of laws and some ridiculous Laws. You ever heard these? Did you know it's illegal to push a moose out of an airplane in Alaska? Don't do it. You get them in there. Don't push them out. I know you want to, but do not. It's illegal. (laughs) Did you know it is illegal to fart in an elevator in Texas? It's like, that's like actually a good law. I I can appreciate, appreciate that. This is the craziest is like. It's illegal to sell pickles that do not bounce. The pickle—I I don't even—I didn't know pickles bounce. I don't know if there's a measurement on how bouncy. I mean, you can pretty much bounce anything if you throw it hard enough. But if they do not bounce, you are going to jail—not probably not jail. Could you imagine that though? Like you're in the clink, you're in the Chow Hall, like in the guys, like the new guy. He's like, "Hey, new guy, what you in for? Bouncy pickles." Oh, this guy's in for selling bouncy pi- non-bouncy pickles. Anyways, I thought that was pure entertainment. Like, how, why? Anyways, I I bring up some of those random things to show you that we do the same thing. See, the Old Testament was full, and the New Testament was full of these Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians, all these people that are like, okay, there's so what? What are these people about? and the scribe, which is the person specifically in this story, that were all about solving problems with laws. Like, we got a problem, let's make a law. And here's what they did. Like, in, in the Old Testament, it was, there, this is how it went. And it wasn't just people doing it, God did it. Like, what, what did he say? These are ten commandments. Boom. That wasn't enough. So there are 613 different laws in the old testament and there's different kinds of them there's ceremonial ones some people are like and 613 that's a lot someone's like got got tattoos and people saying like oh that says says you're not allowed to get tattoos it also says in the old testament when you go to take a number two out in the woods make sure you bring a shovel like that that is in the bible people like i'm not making this up and so, like, this was the, the mindset was laws solve problems. Like, if there's a problem, it's just because we don't have a law in place to do it. And the religious people, I'm making somebody laugh, or maybe they're laughing at something else. The, the religious people thought, like, okay, I'm going to solve this problem because actually God wasn't very, this, this is not enough. 613, that's not enough. We need some more. Like, God said to take a Sabbath day, but he didn't say exactly what that meant. So they made up the craziest laws surrounding the Sabbath. They're like, okay, this is, this is the deal. Like, God said take a Sabbath, but what does that mean? And they were like, okay, you, cannot take a, you can't take a bath on the Sabbath anymore. You know why? Because if it spills over the edge of the bath, you're actually cleaning the floor. That's, that counts as cleaning. You can't clean on the Sabbath, so no taking a bath. They said you can't, you can't, uh, uh, you can't kill a fly in your own house. Did you know that? I think I'm going to take my glasses off. This is my, my one last attempt, and if not, I'm switching to the other mic, and we'll be good. I got glasses, and sometimes they are problematic. So, do you know why you can't kill a fly in your house on the Sabbath? Anybody guess? You were hunting. You can't hunt on the Sabbath. You're hunting. <laughs> you can't drag a uh, a chair across the floor on the Sabbath. Like this is what, this is something, this is not in the Bible. This is extra biblical. The, the Jewish leaders were like, we need to specify, create some new laws to solve some problems. Because if you are dragging a chair across the, the kitchen, you're actually sweeping and that's cleaning. So no dragging a chair. You got to like pick that thing up. But then maybe even you're like working out as you're picking up the chair. So that could be also a form of work. So this is the culture. Like I just want to let you, under, give you a picture of what the, the mindset was. Laws solve problems. Let's solve these problems. And what is the mindset still to this day? Don't push a moose out of an airplane. Solve a problem. <laughs> but the reality is, here's what I'm saying with this, and then we're going to jump into the passage. It's going to all make sense. Laws don't solve problems. They reveal problems. Like they don't solve, they, they, they may modify behavior, but they don't solve the problem. But They reveal the problem, and I want to propose to you today that that is a very, very helpful thing. That is a very, very good thing. The revelation of our problem is a very, very good thing because I know the one who fixes problems. The purpose of the Old Testament, the purpose of 613 laws was to reveal that we can't do it on our own. The Jewish leaders did not get that. The Jewish leaders thought I can fulfill all 613. And you know what? I can actually fulfill all these thousands. I'm adding to the 613. That's how. There's lightning inside of a building. Never seen that happen. <laughs> that's how good I am. Is I can fulfill all 613 and add some, and that's how. That's how righteous I am. Literally self-righteous. That was. That was their mindset. So, uh, Add a law, solve a problem. I got this. But the the purpose of the Old Testament is to show you that you can't do it, is to show the need of a Savior. The purpose of every law in the Old Testament is to show you that you can't do it, to show you the reality that we fall short, that we are sin-natured, and that we are desperately, desperately, desperately in need of a Savior. That is the purpose. As I read through the Old Testament, there's, there's moral guidelines that I want to fulfill. But as I read it, I'm realizing that I am lacking, that I am falling short, that I do not have what it takes to fulfill the, the great commandment or the great commission or the 528th commandment in, in the Old Testament. I fall short. You and I both fall short every day of this great commandment. And the reason this is so important is Jesus was asked by a scribe, a theologian, the theological professor that spent all his time with his nose in a book just studying the Word of God and specifically studying law, like this was his specialty, this scribe dedicated his life to studying law, but not like a lawyer law like we think of today, studying the Old Testament and what it meant to follow God, what it meant to obey God and to be in right standing with God. That was he, he dedicated his life to this thing. And he, the scribe asked Jesus this question, what is the most important thing? What is the mo-? There's 613. There's a bunch of we added too. But what is, what is the most important thing? one of them all. And that's why today is so important. This message is so important. This passage is so important. And it's so important because we misunderstand it. I'm going to read it in a second, and I'm exposing you to it. Here's, here's what the Word of God says. But I wanted to set the framework for you as we, as we dive in. The most important thing, this is what Jesus is saying, and the most important thing flies over most Christians' heads. We tag it in our Instagram bio. We put it on our on our bumper stickers, love God, love people. It's a great hashtag, and I'm all about promoting that message, but it's, it flies over people's heads. The vastness, the, the intensity, and the implications of what Jesus said right here flies over most people's heads, and I'm praying it doesn't fly over yours today. So let's just jump into it. Mark chapter 12, here's what it says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. So the, the context was, and the last time we preached in Mark was in March, and it was actually by a ga- guy named Mark, so that was kind of cool. But the last time we preached in Mark, there was, was another theological dispute from, the, from a different religious leader, and he was asking about the resurrection. And so there have been two, like, it's, it's like a theological battle royale. Like, if this was like an episode, or I don't know if they call them episodes, I don't watch wrestling. If this was like WWF or WE or NW, whatever, I don't, I don't know how that works. But if this was like a wrestling thing, this is like a theological Royal Rumble and everybody's ganging up on Jesus and being like, hey, let's, let's get him in this theological battle. Let's catch him in a theological pickle. But the thing they didn't know is Jesus loves theological pickles unless they don't bounce. I'm just joking. I don't know how that came to me. All okay, right. One of the scribes. That was awful. Edit that. Edit that out. Um. <clears throat> One of the scribes came up, heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right. Like, have you ever tell Jesus you're right? Like, is, did God ever show you something? And it's like, hey, you know what? This is how it is. Like, God revealed some truth to him, and you're like, you know what, God? You're right. It's like, of course he's right. That's what the teacher said. Or that's what the scribe said. Like, Jesus, you are right. Like, you didn't need to tell me that. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding... And with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He was starting to get it. He was like, wait. Remember, he studied law. This guy studied law and what it meant to follow law and be in right standing with God. And then he was like, hey, you know what, Jesus, you're on to something. Like, I've been studying a lot, dedicating my life, decades of my life, just dedicated to finding out what it means to be in right standing with God, what it means to obey the law. And you're right. This is what it means. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. But you can, how many know horseshoes and hand grenades? You could be so close, yet so far. Lincoln Park said it really well. To, it was, this guy was feeling. It. I tried so hard. I got so far. But in the end, yes. You know it. Don't lie. Don't, you, don't act like you don't. This is what he was at. He's like, you're not far off. You're close, but no cigar. You're like really close. And then after that, what happened? He's like, you're so close. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Like he shut down the, the battle royale and everybody went home because they were so scared. So I'm asking three questions today. And I want to dive in because like I said, this is how I study scripture. This is how you can study scripture. You can study it in your own way though. But this is an example of, of what I, I did this week. In this passage, I've heard so many times, the familiarity sometimes loses a curiosity. And I want to encourage you, when you approach Scripture, develop a curiosity and and not a pride that says, I already heard this one already. How are you supposed to teach someone? How are you supposed to learn something if you know everything already? And so I want to encourage you to, to approach the Word of God with a curiosity. And that's why I see new believers, new people to the faith, always are learning so much because they have that curiosity. But we don't have to lose that as we extend our time in the faith, I want to challenge you to to embrace curiosity and ask the difficult questions. I, I'm asking three questions today. Number one, I asked this question this week, is what does it mean to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength? What does that mean? That was the first question. And the second question is, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And then the third question, I'm going to just kind of go over with you, is why did everyone... Why was everyone scared? Why did no one ask him any more questions? And actually, why did no one even dare to ask Jesus a question? And so those are the three questions I ask that I want to kind of walk you through my process with it. Here, here's what it means to love God. So let's start with that first one. What does it mean to love God? He lists these four things. With all your heart, with all your str- soul. So with all, yeah. That order, No, heart, mind, soul, strength. There's, two, there's a couple different orders, but that one is not the same as the ESV. Anyways, the heart, what does it mean to love God with all your heart? Well, let me first say this. That passage, he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Well, that, that passage in Deuteronomy 6-4, so he's quoting two verses here. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6-4 and a passage from Leviticus 19. He's saying, like, he didn't, he didn't make this up on the spot. He knew what this was. And, he, and so the scribes, the religious leaders, were very, very familiar with this. And a- actually, every Jewish person was very familiar with this first line. It said, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. This is called the Shema. If you were to ask a Jew in this context or at this timeline, they would know exactly what you meant. And they would be able to say it word for word. They'd be able to tell you exactly what, like he could have completed the sentence because they say it twice a day. It's like written on their doorpost. They, they even had like this, this ritual box that they had it written on and they were able to say it every day. And they, they, they did say it. It's kind of as a kid, you were like, this is the, the pledge of allegiance. You said it every day. And I remember as a little kid, I was like, what does indivisible even mean? I don't know. I'm just saying it. And so they was kind, it was probably really similar as they were saying it, but they weren't getting it. They said this every day. And like, yeah, I know that one. I, I say that one. It's the Shema. I'm supposed to say it morning and evening. And so they, there was this context. But what the word Shema, why they call it Shema, is the Hebrew word for hear. Because it said, hear, O Israel. And it's he, with your ear, auditory hearing. But it, it merges two words in the English language. Hear and obey. Listen and obey. See, it wasn't, listen, it wasn't just simply hearing. Because how many of you that are married know it's like one thing to hear, but then it's like goes one ear out the other. Or many parents know it's like, hey, I know, you're, I know you're listening, but are you hearing me? Are you shema in me? Tell that to your kids next time. Like, hey, Shema, listen and obey. <laughs> That's what it means. There's one word, listen and obey. And so to love God with all your heart meant that you're not just listening. Like right now, you're like, pastor, I heard this one. I've read this verse but you're listening and obeying. So what does love mean? Love means obedience. See, here's what we think. It means convenience, but that's not love. Love is obedience, not convenience, because if it's convenient, that means there's a circumstance to it. That means I will love when it's convenient. I will love God when I feel like it. I will love God when things are going good. I will love God as long as things aren't going really bad in my life. I'm going to praise God when things are going good for me, but when things aren't going good for me, I don't know, I may turn to some other things. But that is not love, because love doesn't know circumstance. Love is not conditional. That's that's not how it works. We think love is simply a feeling, but as the great artist said, more than a feeling. <laughs> so I mean, you can laugh. Some people. I feel like so often people don't know how to like respond to me. It's like, is he is he joking? He said ninety percent of the time I'm joking. Uh, so it's more than. But, if, but it is more than a feeling because love is a choice. Because love means obedience. Jesus said it in John chapter 14. He said, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments. Your love, just like faith without words, just, sorry, faith without works. That was Sam's thing last week, faith without words. But faith without works is dead. Your love without obedience is dead. Like it's not, it's, you're, you're, you prove that your love is real by obedience. If I love my wife, I'm going to serve her. It is proven that it's real. My love is proven that it's real by obedience, by serving. My love for God is proven that it's real by obedience. My love, if I love God, I'm going to obey his command with your whole heart. You're wholeheartedly committing to love God. And there's some spiritual disciplines that you can do, but, but it's, this is not an exhaustive list, but I wanted to give you some ideas. Like loving God means you're not reading your Bible when it's convenient. Like not based on circumstance. Loving God is diving into the word of God, is praying, is worshiping, is gathering here. You're loving God. You're being obedient by saying, I'm not going to forsake the gathering of the saints. I'm going to be in community, being in a community group. Here's one. Tithing is a way you're fulfilling God's commandment. And if I love God, I'm going to be, be obedient with my finances with this passage of scripture that instructs me to do so. Like that's just loving God. That's, that's, that's what it is. So it's all these spiritual disciplines that we can place into our life. But I, I don't want to confine it. I think often we, we confine the spiritual things to like this, these, these things that we do. But really everything we can do is loving God with the way we live our life. And here's what I want to say. The next thing is soul. I want to jump to like love, your, love God with all your heart. Let's, let's do mine first. With all your mind. This is what it means to love God with all your mind. It means to dive into the word of God. And it means, so, so I think a lot of people have this, this like I, I referred to, like the pastor will go in and dive deep and then he'll bring it to me on Sunday. I believe some people are just limiting the brain that God gave you, the mind that God gave you. Like so often, like I just want to encourage some people, like instead of Netflix, Jump into the Word of God. Jump into a commentary. Re- listen to a podcast. Let go challenge your mind. And here's here's the way I, I want to encourage some people that because I was I was in this spot and I, and some truth came to me. Some analytical minds in here. I believe God's God wires all of us differently, and we are yet to grasp the complexity of this thing between our ears. Neurologists can study all they want. They can't fully comprehend. They can't fully figure out like the complexity and the power that God created in your mind and my mind. And the reality is we are all created different in your mind. You see things different than the person sitting next to you. And for a long time, I felt like I didn't have a place that my, the way I was wired did not have a place in the church because I was that kid in Sunday school, like the two times I showed up and I was like, Hey, like, you said this, but what if, what if this? Like, I had, like, some, some questions that, that didn't, like, the, the Sunday school leader was like, psh, I got to go through the lesson. Like, no, nah, no, nah, dude, just zip it, Lauren. And, and here's what I want to say to you, that for the longest time, I've, I, like, saw things differently. Like I, would, like, I had an analytical mind. And I honestly don't like labels. I, like, don't like being like, I'm not a blank. And so someone once told me, was like, hey, you, you're an analytical thinker. I was like, Psh, what did you, you call me, bro? And then I was like, well, am, am I analytical? And so I defined it three different ways from the, the searches that came up, and then I compared that. Like, am I analytical? Let me compare that. That's what the definition says. But what about the cultural connotation when somebody says that? Says that? And right about that moment, I'm like, I guess, <laughs> I guess I am. I guess that's me. Some other people in this room are analytical-minded, and you just think different. I don't want to tell you you're welcomed at Project Church, that your mind is welcomed. I believe God wants to to use your mind, Love love God with all your mind. I believe that means using the way you think, the way you see things differently. You don't need to come into alignment and just think like everybody else thinks. We need the body of Christ. We need different perspectives. We need your mind in the church. The way God wired you, we need you. I don't want you, to, and I'm sorry if you felt ostracized. I'm sorry if you felt like the way you see things is not welcomed here, and I, I, or in church at large, maybe it was when you were younger or whenever. I'm sorry if that was been your experience, but I wanna let you know that loving God with your mind means like, man, I'm wired different. I see things different. I believe God wants to use your mind to bring other ideas that are solutions, that are new ways we can do things in the church, new things that we can do things in the world. In your job, you may be a blessing to somebody just by saying, hey, here's how I see things. And when you own it, you're like, man, God wired me this way. And you start to see like, Wait a second, God, I don't have to wait till Sunday for God to use me. God's using me just by the way I brought up this idea in this staff meeting because I see things different. Sometimes we need to understand that a lot more things are for the kingdom than just like, okay, I passed out snacks on Sunday morning. No, God uses every moment of your life. And when we say, I'm going to love God with all my heart, with all my mind, you're saying I'm going to use the way God made me. God wired this thing. Sometimes this thing, I'm like, wow, this thing's off. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I just see different. And some of you are like that and you just need to know that's not an accident. There's a way God uses that. The, second, the third thing. So your heart, your mind, your soul. How, how do you love God with your soul? So I don't have time to really dive into this, but it speaks largely to your desires. Loving God with all your soul. Is about loving God with your, your desires, like the desires you have in your heart. But then the question comes up, like, well, I got some, and people got some weird desires out there, like some bad desires, like that are not of God. So how do you how do you sort them out? Scripture says in Psalm 37 and 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, I remember hearing this as like a kid, and it's like, oh, sweet. So like if you just worship God, God will give you whatever you want. Like, I love this verse. This is awesome. And it didn't, didn't exactly work like that. But here's, so we think like, okay, whatever I want, God, I'm going to worship you. And then you get me what I want. But the reality is, is what you want, like as you worship God, as you delight yourself in God, as you love God, he shifts your desires and lines them up with his. And he gives you those desires. And here's what I want to say. In the same way that I was talking about your mind and you're like, I know God can't use this. This is, I got to conform. I see differently. I, I, and, And how everyday things can be used by God, be used for the kingdom, used for his purposes. I believe some of you have desires that you've just said like, oh, those are just things. Those are just interests. Those are just things I like. I believe loving God with all your soul, with all your desires, means that you're starting to see how those things are actually kingdom things. And they may be simple interests, hobbies, passions that you have. I want to encourage somebody that those can be used for the kingdom of God. And this is how simple it is. Like, I feel, I've noticed, I just have this desire, not just for me to have fun, like, to have a good time. Like, I want every, like, thing to be fun. Like, I know there's a time for serious, boring stuff, but I personally don't like boring stuff. Maybe you're different. But I just like fun stuff. Like, I want to have fun all the time. And so, and, and the reason, like, but more than myself, I like bringing other people along to have fun. Like, if there's, like, I'm keenly aware of who's not having fun. Like, that guy back there, he's not having fun. I'm just joking, he's there. But I'm like, aware. Like, like, we're a bunch of people having fun. I'm like, that's my, my strength and the strength finder is includer. So I'm like, hey, how can we make sure everybody's having, having a good time? And I, that is something in my head, that's a desire I have, probably because there was a season in my life where life was not fun. And I'm like, man, I don't want anybody to go through life with no joy. I don't want everybody to go through a season of their life where they just don't, get to, don't have a reason to smile, a reason to laugh. So I that's just part of my thing. And so a lot of people would say that. It's like, oh, that's just a thing. That's just like, cool. But God can't, God's not like using that. I want to say absolutely he is. Like, I'm going to brag for a second, but my, like this uh, Father's Day thing, you know how the kids bring you back these little things? Well, like uh, Veronica had the kids do these crafts. She loves crafts. That is not my spiritual strength. That's like her desire. She uses that and it honors God. And she, she wrote down, she dictated what my four-year-old said. It was like, all right, five things about daddy. That first two was, number one, he loves. I love when he throws me in the air. Like, okay. Number two, I love when he throws me on the couch. That's probably why they jump on the couch And I think about it. But, but, and so, like, I realized, like, I just want for my kids, it's my desire to have fun. Like some of my childhood was not fun. So it's my desire for them just to always have a good time, to always have fun. And I believe, I believe as simple as that is, God uses that. And because it's a desire of mine, and sometimes for some people you've chalked it up. It's like, man, I have this desire, this passion. I have this, this thing. And you've just said, it's just a thing. And you've kind of separated it from the spiritual. It's like, this is just a thing. God's not, God's not using it but it's a thing I like to do. What if you changed your perspective and saw how your desires, loving God with all your soul, may simply be like, I recognize these desires. I'm delighting myself in the Lord. He's lining up my desires with him. And I'm going to be used by God by these desires that are here. I don't have to look, it doesn't have to look like everybody else's, but how your unique way God wired you and the desires he put in you can serve people and serve him. Like, what if we started seeing those everyday things like that? So often we say, like, okay, love God, and we think it simply just means, like, worshiping Him, and then it doesn't get us excited. But I get excited when I think about how God can use the desires He's put in me. The last thing is that to serve God, to love God with all your strength. What does that mean? This is really simple. Love God with your body. That means you're honoring your body means practically nutrition. We don't talk, talk about this in church. Nutrition and exercise. Scripture says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like we need to be good stewards of this temple and honor God with our body. We need to be, if we're single, we're not having sex. Like that's not a popular thing to say. But that scripture is so clear. Like let's just be real. So we're honoring God in that way. We're honoring God by, by taking a Sabbath rest and not working too hard. I'm working so much and thinking we're better than God, like God needed a day of rest, but I'm better than God. How are you going to do that? You're not better than God. Let me just remind you, take the day of rest and enjoy, and enjoy the Sabbath because it was created for you. That's what it means to serve God with your strength. It's referring to your body. So I have two more questions to go through. So that's what it means to love God, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And even another question is like, who is your neighbor? I'm going to get straight to the point. It means everybody. But what about the person that thinks different from me? Yep. What about the kid that smells funny? Yep. What about that kid that bugs me? What about the kid, what about the guy that rubs me the wrong way? What about the girl that like annoys me so bad? What about the person that has a different political view than me? What about the person that that, is, that thinks so different from me? What about the person that is hurtful to me? What about the person that doesn't understand me and puts all this, I just wanna let you know that is everybody. Like I looked up the word all in the Hebrew word from where this is coming from. Guess what? It means all. <laughs> took, took a long time to figure that one out. It's very clear. You're supposed to love everybody. But here's two lies that I think we come up with that, agree, that loving someone means agreeing with someone. Like, we can love somebody and not agree. Otherwise, that passage is not going to be possible. Otherwise, we're, there's no way we're going to love everybody. Because if I love everybody just if they agree with me, then I'm going to just love myself. Because I'm the only one that agrees with me. You need to learn and, and embrace this truth that I can love someone when I don't agree with them. Like, that's, that would be a revelation to our world today. Like, I can love you and we see different. I can love you, and we didn't vote for the same person. I can love you, and we don't see eye to eye on stuff. I can love you, and you don't parent your kids the same way I parent my kids. Like, thats it doesn't mean you need to agree with somebody. In order to love someone, let's get that out of our heads. A book I recommend is this book called Neighborliness. My friend David wrote it, Um, and it's such a powerful word. When we think about neighbor, means the person that lives next to us. Now, I'll say this that most of us don't even know our neighbor, especially you know, you live in, in our culture today, you live in the suburbs, you pull into your garage, you don't, and you go right in, you don't even know your neighbor. You should know your neighbor's names, you should know their birthdays, you should know how, how you love them, you should love your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor, but it's not ex- uh, exclusive to the person that lives next door to you. Because a lot of times that would mean you don't have to love people in a different income bracket than you, because usually, like, your neighborhood is like, okay, everyone. You know, it's the cost of your, your housing cost. But you need to love everybody in every type of demographic that you can think about is different. You're supposed to love them. So a book I remember, recommend is Neighborliness by David Dukason that that goes into this more. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Now, last question. Why did no one ask him any more questions? Why did no one dare to ask him any more questions? Because they were like drilling him. It was Smackdown. It was like, let's gang up on Jesus. We got all, these, the, all the religious leaders. We're going to trap him in these theological pickles. We're going to get him in, backed into the corner. He's not going to know what to say. And then we got him. And then he just shut the crowd up. Why did everyone all of a sudden get scared? Why did everybody like run out of things? And it's not they just ran out of stuff to say. They were scared. They didn't dare to ask him any more questions. Why? because they understood the implications. So check this out. They were religious leaders. They were very aware of the law. Like a lot of them actually could write, like this scribe could literally write out the entire Old Testament. He had it in his head. He knew not just the 613 laws. He knew verse by verse. Have you ever tried to read through the Old Testament? It's a lot of, lot of words. And he knew it. So he knew it so well. And so he w- they were all very aware of the implications. And the implications were this. This is the greatest commandment. I asked you the biggest question. Like, okay, there's a lot of laws, 613 laws. What's the biggest one? What's the most important one? And I appreciate the scribe for doing it because it revealed some really good truth. He says the most important is you love God and you love your neighbor. And that shook them. Because here's, here's the implication. The greatest commandment I'm not able to do. They realized the word all. The word all means all. All your heart. Love your neighbor, every single person. And they realized they're not doing it. Like in honest evaluation, they realized I'm falling short. And they understood that the omission of the greatest commandment is the greatest sin. you follow me with that? Like this is the greatest commandment. This is the most important thing to do. So if I miss the most important thing to do, then I'm committing the greatest sin. That is absolutely true for me. That is absolutely for you sitting in this place. He made an impossible standard. And the religious leaders realized this. They said the most important thing, I'm the greatest commandment, I'm missing it on the greatest commandment. So I'm committing the greatest sin. And that means that I'm in 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 distance from God, that I don't have a right standing relationship with God, that I'm not on right terms with God. And I know that the wages of sin is death. I know that I'm in big trouble. I know that I have a major problem and that scared them all. But like I said at the beginning of this message, laws don't solve problems. They reveal the problem. And Jesus was doing that. He's saying, you can't do this. You want to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Good luck. You're going to fail. You want to love your neighbor? Good luck. And when I first read this, I was thinking about, man, I look at the scribe, and they're so prideful. But as I continue to study, I realized that I'm the scribe, that I'm the one that falls short, that I'm the one that didn't love God this week. I'm the one that didn't love my neighbor this week. I'm the one that was falling short of the greatest commandment, which means I committed the greatest sin. There's one more great, and that's the great exchange. And that's the truth of the gospel, that he exchanged his sinless life to pay the penalty of sin for all mankind, for all of eternity. And the best thing that you could come to, the best revelation, the best best thing that could happen to you, most helpful, productive thing in your life is to have the revelation of the extremity of your sin. That's the best thing that can happen to me. You know why? Because it reveals the biggest problem. Laws don't solve problems, they just reveal the problem. The law reveals the problem that I have a sin problem. But the greatest news beyond that is I know the one who solves the problem. It's the biggest problem anybody has in their life. It's the biggest problem that mankind has. It's the reason every, that there's any problems in the world. Someone researched at one time that out of the thousands of years that mankind has been historically recorded, there were 20 years when there wasn't a war happening. And I would be able to say that the reason for every problem in the world is because of the sin of man, is because we have not fulfilled the great commandment. The reason any problem exists today is because we don't love God and we don't love people. That will solve every single problem in the universe. If you love God and love people, the problem is we can't do that. The problem is I'm going to fall short tomorrow. The problem is you're going to fall short on Tuesday with this commandment but that produces the revelation that you can't do it on yourself, by yourself. That you desperately need Jesus. And what I wanna encourage you is some of us have more scribe and more Pharisee and more religious leader in yourself than you realize, because that was me this week. I'm like, I'm preaching on this thing. I kinda, I'm doing pretty good at it. I'm doing pretty good at loving God with all my heart. I'm doing pretty good at loving my neighbor. But that pride is the worst thing because it means, man, I got this. And the greatest thing that we need to continue to do is have a dependency on God that says, I can't fulfill the great commandment. How am I supposed to love my neighbor? How am I supposed to love God? I'm gonna, I'm gonna fail on my own strength. And what I wanna encourage you today is the, that the law needs to reveal the greatest problem that you have in your life. This passage should be a jaw dropper. For, for you just as it was for these scribes. It should just be like, oh my, I can't, that's the greatest commandment I'm committing, the greatest sin, and I need to experience the great exchange when he took your sin upon the cross. And we need a daily dependency on Jesus, on his forgiveness of sin, and we need to, to die to ourselves. Something we don't talk about in church long, very much. We need to die to ourselves and rely on Jesus. And I wanted to encourage someone today that just feels like, man, this 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 job description as a follower of Jesus is too hard. That's because it is. That's because you can't do it on your own. You cannot fulfill a great commandment on your own. How are you supposed to love God without God? How are you supposed to love your neighbor without God? I can't do it. There's a lot of jacked up people in this world. I can't love everybody. When you love God, He gives you the power to love God and to love other people. When you experience the great exchange, and that's what I just want to speak to somebody who's in that spot, who feels overwhelmed and feels like you're falling short. That's because you're falling short, because that's what Scripture says all have fallen short. And that's a great problem to have because it produces the need for a Savior. The revelation that we need Jesus is the best revelation that we can have. So I simply want to give us an opportunity to respond. And would you just bow your head in this place and be a little introspective, almost an evaluation on your heart. And I'm like, am I loving God? Am I loving people? Do I have a desperation for Jesus? If you're here and this is just speaking to you and be like, man, I need to take a step towards him. I need to, I need to experience that great exchange once again. I need to increase my dependency on him and I wanna love God and I wanna love people, but I need him. If that's you, just want some prayer, would you just raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three, just put it up, put it up. Thank you so much, nice and proud. Thank you so much, thank you so much. Hands going up and you can put it right back down. The second group is here is you need to know Jesus you're here and you're far from him and you want to experience that great exchange that I'm talking about, which says he took your sin, the payment of sin, which is death, and he took that on himself. And you want to experience the love of God. You want to experience the reconciliation, which means you come into contact, you come into right standing with him because of the sacrifice he made. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Would you just flip your hand up on the count of three? One, two, three. Thank you so much. Four, five hands coming up right here. Thank you so much. Six over here. You can put it down. Thank you so much for your boldness with that. Man, I'm celebrating so much with you. I'm celebrating so much right now because I know God's doing a work in people today. God's doing a work in you today. Would you just stand across this place and we just want to respond to him. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. Simply repeat this and you're saying that to him. You're saying this to God. You're not just saying words, but would you say this with me? Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I have sinned, but I know you're a great Savior. Come into my life and forgive me. Make me clean. Give me strength to love you and love people. Love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate? There were hands going up. There's people responding to him. This is what it's all about. Can we worship him? Can we just sing this out in response to him? Thank you, Jesus. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in. To our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District, we want to ask you. If you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.